you're on a process today and thinking about asking questions and just what is this thing all about? You know, I used to look at my hand and how does that work? I'd watch, you can see it now, you can see the tendons and the ligaments move and the bone move as you move your fingers and I'd look at it and go, how do I hold a bottle of beer? How do I hold a glass of wine? How do I hold a McDonald's burger? How do I, how do I hold my, my son, my daughter? They came into the world. How do I, how do, how do I hold this precious? I mean, even that process that a sperm and an egg get together, and my little Lillian, my little Maddie, come out. How does that happen? There is a Creator. His name is Jesus. And He's created us all for a purpose. And it's found in Him. And He calls the church to lay down its life. He models what it looks like. And He says, if you're my disciple, come and follow my example. Lay your whole life down. Lay every dream, every desire, everything that you want. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. And let it stay there. Because I've created you for this thing. And while you keep your eyes on this, you're never getting life into the thing you were created for. You're never going to fulfill what I've called you to be while your eyes are on you. So I sent my son to model this thing. I sent my son to show you what a life and a life of abundance even looks like. I didn't just write it in a book so you have to try and imagine it. I sent my son, my very one and only son, to come down and demonstrate what a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus actually looks like. And he says, if you would appropriate this lifestyle out and allow you to die, he said, I'll take that life, I'll take your ashes, I'll transform it into a reality that you've never, ever dreamed of or experienced. And if you'd receive that today, he will literally take you from death to life and life abundant. He says this, he gives you and I this invitation. He says, Follow me. Two words. Two of the most powerful words in mankind's history. That the God of the universe comes down and says, the flesh of flesh, you, Peter, you, John, you, Mitch, you, Anne, you, Paul, you, Mike, you, Ingrid, you, Bella, you, Chris, you, Andrew. Follow me. Two words. It's a directive and it's a promise. Uh, sorry, it's a, it's a it's a directive and an invitation. You don't have to, but he puts out an invitation, and he says, "Follow me." Think about this. Then the Creator of the universe, not a man, but the Creator, the one that said, "Let there be light," and there was light. The one that said think we need a few mountains let there be mountains the one that said i think we need some water let there be water the one that said oh you know what i think i'm going to start creating mankind now so let there be mankind gee he needs a partner let me reach into the rib of this guy and grab another rib and let me form a whole person with another personality that i'm still trying to figure out but we're getting there that was a joke it's like the movie this person, this God, who said, you know what, I think we need some animals. Let's create some animals. Gee, you better give them a bit of oxygen or they won't be able to breathe. The one that creates the stars. The stars are limitless and endless. The galaxies. We're still trying to figure it all out. That person says to you and I, hey, follow me. And then it gives you and I not only one promise, but two. He says, if you follow me, I will make you into me. And then the second promise is this. I will never, ever leave you. And I will be with you 
and I will be beside you, I will be behind you, I will even be in front of you, and at times I will carry you. But I will always, until the end of the age, which is beyond this 80 years, I will be with you. Now, do you want to come and you want to be transformed into my reality for you? And it is so much better than what you're currently living in. It's, 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 you can't even describe really what the freedom is that he wants to bring us into. But you can know it in your spirit. You can't really describe, I don't think, Jesus to someone. It's so hard to put words into love because Jesus is love. It's, it's so hard. You know, you're trying to describe the love of God. Once you've tasted of it and it's living in you, I find it so hard to try and articulate because there's no words. I don't think there's any words, whether it's English, Greek, or Hebrew, that actually can bring the mind into a reality what the spirit can experience. See, the Bible says that there is a love that goes beyond knowledge. There is a love so profound that it goes right past the mind and enters into the heart of a person, the spirit of a person, the heartbeat of a person. And you can experience that intimacy, that love. And it is so unconditional, so selfless in its nature and character that literally if the receiving on it, it will enable and empower change within you. It's the empowerment to lay down one's life, one's attitude. All one's life is is what we find is important. Our priorities, our values, our I think this is important. It's laying down my will, my emotions, and my thinking. All the soulish ties that I have to this world that I think are right. He says, lay them down. Start with me with a blank bit of paper. And let me start to define a completely another reality called the kingdom. And allow me to model it and walk with you and show you how I see and how I think and how I hear and how I love and how I embrace people and how I speak words of life, not death, and how I bring this life kingdom reality. He never judged. He hung out with people that we would never hang out with. Because his love was extreme. His love was so abounding. His love knew no limits. His love crossed cultural, sexual, political barriers to get this message to people. And he does it today like he did it 2,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. And he will continue to do it until the end that he comes back. This is what we all signed up for when we said... Come into me. Church, he wants to take your life. He wants you to lose that and find a brand new one in him. See, we've preached salvation as this. Come down the front, pray a prayer, and you've arrived. That's the start of a complete transformation, a metamorphosis of one person into another and Jesus gives us this thing called grace which covers us and comes underneath us and empowers us to let go of everything I've said us and find our lives in him and be defined by him and to see and think and have a heart culture that ticks on earth we have limited his truth so much that I think it breaks his heart but his grace is so incredible he actually his love allows it but he's always hoping that that someone 
a man, a woman, a community would have his heart. And he searched to and fro the Bible says looking for a man, a woman, a community that have the heart of God. King David. If you read the stories about King David, you see a man who was incredible. You see a man who defiled a lot of things. You see a man that slept with another man's wife. It's called adultery. You see a man that sent that man out to war so he could do that and get that man killed. And God decided that he would make that man a king. He wasn't holy and righteous, by the way. Or wear funny clothing and look good and speak like that with an English accent. He was a sinner like you and me. Saved by grace. But the thing that made him different from a lot of us was the man's heart. He loved God. God said, this man, he has my heart. God's not looking for us to be perfect and you've got to be all this before you arrive. He just looks for a heart. A whole heart. You see, why we're still focusing on all our stuff down here, we're building idols in our lives. And we don't even realize it. The Bible calls it spiritual adultery. And we're building all these idols, making all these things. We're in love with these things. And Jesus is over here going, follow me. Follow me. No, no, I don't have time. I don't have time, man. I'm, I'm, I'm having a family. I'm getting married. I'm going to have a career. Might do a bit of evangelizing on the side. <sighs> got to go on holiday because I've got to have my OE. Hey, follow me. I'll make your OE look like something you've never imagined. I'll make your marriage look like you've never imagined it to look. I'll make your children like you've never known. If I want you to have those things. I probably do, but if I do, why don't you let me define those things? Why don't you give them to me and I'll define them like I did with Abraham and Isaac? Because Abraham, he prayed for 25 years. And I spoke to Abraham and I gave him a promise for 25 years. He had to wait 25 years to see the promise come in. 25 years, Greg. He had to wait to see what I spoke come in. And then when he got it, not any son, the son that you said the nation would come and you won't even be able to count how many people are coming come through this son. So not just any boy, not that any boy is not important, but the son that would be an heir of a spiritual nation. This boy. And he arrives, doesn't he? His mum's a great-grandmother. That would mess you up, wouldn't it? Mum, you're looking a bit old. How long have you been around? Dad, you're looking older. The promise. And what does God say to him? Now give him back to me. And kill him. Hold on a minute. I don't think I heard that right. I couldn't have heard that right. You promised me a son. That's right. And you got your son. Now give him back to me because I want to define how you handle this boy. I don't want you to define him with your thoughts and your mindset and your heart posture. I'm checking you out to see whether you love me with all your heart more than you love the promise. This thing that you've been waiting for your whole life, do you still love me more than the promise? And Abraham passed the test and it was credited to him as righteous living on the earth. God is looking for a people who will live righteously on the earth, which means having the heartbeat, the posture, the love, the mercy, the power, the life of Christ, laying one's life down for Christ and for one another and offering it to the world. What a message of life and power. And Abraham passed the test. God comes to test us. Do you realize that? Not tempt us, test us. What's in the heart of this man? What's in the heart of this woman? I want to pour in this new thing, this new wine, this wine into a skin. But the skin can't handle the new. Because the skin's trying to hang on to the old. It's trying to hang on to self. It wants self to define everything. Clay preached a brilliant message last Sunday morning. If you haven't heard it, go and listen to it. Can I urge you as Paul said which all it means go and do it if I could make you I would let's read between the lines this is what he's saying if I really could I would go and do it 
And he talked about unknown spiritual landscapes. Now, sometimes we think that's physical. And in the church, we say, we're going to take the city for Jesus. Yeah. Who wants to come and take a city for Jesus? Why don't we let Jesus take us and see what happens? Jesus can take a city. I can't. And as I allow him to take me, because the reality of the choices that everyone has to make that I can't make them make is phenomenal. He knows that. So why don't we just let Jesus take us? So if we say, let's take a city, and Jesus is going to take a city, let's go, yeah, and the city's me. Come and take me. Because, man, there's so much of me in me, it still needs to be transformed. And I'm not looking at anyone else or pointing the finger at anyone else or blaming anyone else, but putting a mirror up to my face and going, here I am. You love me as I am. This ugly-looking face. I'm talking about me. You see all my good stuff, my not-so-good stuff, my hair, my lack of hair, my this, my that, my attitudes, what I like, what I don't like, my struggles. You see all that, and you still love, and you accept me. Who are you? What are you? Then he promises you glory for your ashes. He says, come on, come follow me. But let me define you. Let me be the one that defines your thinking. Let me be the one that defines what marriage looks like. Not you. Because if you define it, you'll ruin it. If you define it, you'll kill it. If you define it, you'll never come into the reality in which I created it, which is an eternal reality. There is no marriage after the resurrection. Why? Why aren't we married? Why aren't I married to Danielle after the resurrection? Is this messing with someone's theology now? Gonna be with her, we're gonna have this. Why aren't we married? Because I'm marrying the Christ. We're equal. She's actually my sister in Christ. That's a bit weird, isn't it? It's a spiritual family he's building, not a physical one. Let's live in the spirit, not in the flesh. The men of the flesh don't understand the things of the spirit. They're walking around asking questions that men of the spirit never ask. Like, how do I get back into my mother's womb? How's that going to happen? I'm a grown man. Jesus doesn't even answer the question. You see, what you've got there is the man from heaven living on the earth, but actually heaven is he's still living in heaven. Took me a while to get that too. Jesus, the man from heaven, yes? Living on the earth, yes? But really, he's actually still living in heaven because the culture from heaven is in him on earth. So what you're seeing, your kingdom come is not signs and wonders. Your kingdom come is your reality, which is part of, sorry, your reality, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you hear, the posture of your heart is now on the earth. So when you look at marriage and children and career and sport and all these things, it's completely redefined. You don't hold your children like that and control them and bind them. And you want to make them little idols of you because you never got what you wanted with your parents. You release them. Who does God want them to be? They are not mine. They are a gift from him that he asked me to steward. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm disconnected from them, but I'm, but I'm connected with them. And it means I can love them like Christ loves them, unconditionally, unbound by insecurity. Unbound that you have to be this, Madeline, and you have to be that, because this is what you're going to do. Who says so? What does he say they're going to be? Sons who are going to lay their lives down. Oh, don't go on the mission field. Go get a university education. Who says so? And maybe God's saying, go get a university education. But who says that? Who's determining that? You or God? God wants to define. They're His. We're all His. We don't belong to one another. Now hear me, I'm talking about a spiritual. I'm talking in the spirit now, not in the flesh. 
And you know what? If I can capture this culture in me, I am free to love in the physical like Him. A man should love his wife like Christ loves the church. Well, if I'm stuck with me and what I think and my way, there's no way Danielle is going to receive that love from me. She'll receive my love, which is conditional, bound, insecurity, and jealousy, and it puts bondage on her, and vice versa. So he came to define a complete different reality called the kingdom, and we've limited it to signs and wonders. Why do you think that might be? I need a tissue. Can someone grab me a tissue, please? I'm just freewheeling, man. This is not in my notes. I mean, my notes are over there somewhere. Why do you think the church is focusing on signs and wonders? One, it's external. Absolutely. What? What? Requires no change. Absolutely. You may get changed in it, but I know heaps of people get physically healed. They're not no different at all. I'm one of them. Nine years ago, didn't change my heart. Why else though? In the last days, what's the focus going to be on? Who might be behind that? You see, it's going to be your intimacy with the Father, whether you know there's going to be a false signs of wonder or a real signs of wonder. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy you and I. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. He's got a mission, and it's to stop the church becoming the church of Jesus Christ. His mission is to stop you and I coming into the reality that exists right here. But it's a spiritual reality. And he uses deception. And you have a thing in you called self, which will keep you deceived. And his whole purpose is to keep you living in bondage and brokenness and heartache. When right in front of you exists another reality. But to come into that reality, to enter into the kingdom of God, which is an internal, completely different transformation of thinking, you must be washed with what? I keep playing. I like that. <laughs> Come on, brother. Faith. It was giving me... Anyone here play the guitar? Thomas, get up, man. Come on. What must we be washed with? What does the Bible say? Give me scripture. To be born again, to come into, to see the kingdom, you must be born of the Spirit. To enter into it, you must be born of what? Water and the Spirit. Baptism. Not a, just a physical expression. Baptism is obedience. To enter into this reality that I'm talking about, where you hold everything lightly, where you don't have your children as the idol in your life, or your partner, or your career, or your sport, or whatever you're into as the number one thing. To enter into this reality where it actually becomes what you actually believe and where you live from requires obedience to the teachings and the commandments of Christ. He said, if those who love me, you'll know those who love me, they'll obey me. And you'll come into a completely different reality called freedom, which you're not currently maybe yet in. And Jesus, and I shared this on the weekend, Jesus gives us stories and scriptures and even his heartbeat to show you and I this reality. But the reality is we actually don't have the eyes to see it or the heart to even receive it. So you know what we do? We rationalize it all away and say, he can't be talking to me right now. This cannot be him talking to me. Can, Dave, can you just bring my Bible? He didn't really mean that when he said this, did he? When he said, my brother and my mother, they're not these physical people right here trying to get into the house. They're not them. Sure, this woman may have brought me into the world. But Jesus says, they're not my brother and my sister or my mother or my father. He says, those that do the will of my father are actually my brother and sister and my mother. Those that are all on this journey, those that have committed to the transformation, those that actually hear the will and do the will of my father. Spiritual family, it's called. Committed followers of Jesus that are laying their lives. This is my mother. This is my brother. This is my sister. Those that hear like I do. He models everything. 
Imagine being Mary. And maybe James, it was James that heard that. How offended would you be? What do you mean? I gave birth to you. I nursed you. There's another passage. Blessed are the breasts that nurse this man. Jesus says, rubbish. Blessed are those that do what? The will of my father. Physical, spiritual. Church, we've got to get out of the physical culture of the world which is in us and get into the spiritual kingdom of God culture that is within us. It's completely different. And how many people know because this was Jesus' culture, he loved his mother and his brother and every person like you and me at a level that is so beyond human love, but with his love. It's that culture that went to the cross. It's that culture that will take you to the cross if you allow it to birth in you. Lay your life downs for one another. A new commandment I give my church today. Love one another as I love you. And a whole world will know. God, I pray that my people would be perfected in unity. Not conformity, but unity. True unity that commands a blessing. Most of the unity in the church is conformity. So we don't see a blessing because it's just us conforming to patterns and ideas and vision statements that sit on a wall. Rather than Him. He is the vision. We say things like this, without a vision people perish. Without us Building orphanages in Cambodia, people are going to perish. Without us reaching the lost, people will perish. Without us doing these things, people will perish. Rubbish! Without a revelation of Jesus Christ, the people will perish. We have all those things and the church still isn't what it should be. Can we be honest this morning? Really honest. I'm putting it out there. But look, let's be honest, the church has all this. We have the best music these days. We have Christians making it to the top of every chart you can think of, and we go, woohoo, aren't we taking kingdom? Rubbish! Kingdom is when the church comes alive in Christ, starts modeling the life of Christ on the earth, and the world looks and goes, the church has something to offer. That's when you know when we are doing something of substance, not just writing songs, selling them for $29.95 on DVDs and completely making a whole market of it. It's a completely different paradigm of thinking. It's top down, not bottom up. And for too long, the church has been living from bottom up instead of top down. And it's not a political dominion I'm talking about. Please hear me. I'm not talking about we're going to take this thing by force like they they thought Jesus was coming back. He will come back and he's looking for people to reign with him on the earth to do that. But that is not in this section of the kingdom. Jesus gives you what it looks like in this section of the kingdom. It's called a servant. It's not called a king. So why is the church trying to be kings when we're supposed to be servants? A certain man has just given themselves the title of king in this nation. Servants. Bond servants. And we think we're doing all this great stuff. And he just says, I want to do it in you. And if I do the work in you, then there'll just be this natural outflowing expression of these things. See, we try and figure out how to do Christianity. We ask all the wrong questions. You don't do Christianity, you are it. And when you understand that, and when you actually have a revelation of that, and that culture's within you, your whole paradigm changes. Everything changes. The way you see, the way you think, your heart posture, trust me, Everything changes. You're no longer trying to figure it out. You're not trying to learn to figure out the steps like one, two, three, four. Oh, didn't work. 
Let's go to the next book and the next formula and the next thing. Gee, we need all these programs to get all these people moving this way and sort of fitting in all these boxes. And you know what? It never, ever works because it's an inauthentic model. Jesus is into authenticity. He says things like this. I bring freedom. simple. I come to set you free. Those that the sun sets free are free. So it's present text. There's a freedom and we're coming into a greater freedom. You have to come into freedom. So if you're struggling with whatever today, that's okay. But don't sit in it. Seek Him and allow Him to do a work which brings you into freedom, which means you're going to have to like, take your mind off your stuff. He must increase. I must put my focus and my mind on Him. I've got to let go of my worry. I've got to let go of me. Put people in your lives that can support you. Get into discipleship. And He will lead you out of that stuff by a spirit. And I don't know whether we're prepared to pay the cost of what that takes and the time it takes. So we look for all these other options. Because it may take some time. And Paul said this, You took me to the point of death. That I had to die. That I would trust you. I pray he never takes me to that point. But he may at some point. But you know what? What comes out at the end of that process? That I trust him more. That I know him more. That I'm going to lay my life down more, Paul said. There's a whole reality that you and I are yet to come into. That is right here. We just can't see it. And God gives the church certain gifts and he puts elements of himself in those gifts that are anchored there and there so the church can actually live from a top-down perspective. That the heaven, I pray that the kingdom of heaven on earth would walk on the earth. Once again, we limit it down to one or two little things. And we celebrate that, and that's cool. And we think, that's it. We can put our feet up now. And somehow we bypass ourselves out of the reality of what he wants to do. And we stand back and we admire it all when we're actually supposed to be in it. We're the plan. His people are living stones. House of prayer is not this. This. Not that prayer room. The house of prayer is this, 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 this. We are the house, temple of the Spirit. So when he calls the house of prayer, he's actually saying, would my people pray? Even that, we could talk about that forever. The lack of prayer in the church, the lack of heart for prayer in the church, the lack of turning up and praying. Yet it's the very thing that moves the hand of God. So we adopt all our strategies and all our things and all our man-made stuff and we wonder why we're still sitting there trying to figure out the next wineskin to do it. And he says, if you only turn back to me, repent of your stupid thinking and come into me, you'll see my hand move and it's about me and it's about what I'm doing. And if you pray and if you pray and if you pray, I'll heal your land. I'll heal the land. You'll see the city saved under me. But would you pray? He looks for men and women of prayer to activate things on the earth. We should spend 99% of our time on our faces praying and 1% doing that, 1% doing this, and 1% out there. And you what? You'd see God move and transform a nation. It's called the kingdom. But what we do is no. And I'm talking, I'm preaching to me. Now, I've got my 10-year plan. Let's put it up on the board here. Here's the strategic overview. And the strategic plan of the next five years of the rocks going forward. He says this, follow me. And because you're the plan, I don't know about you, but we should be asking this, God, what are you going to transform? My next five-year plan is what do you want to change in me? What are the things that I'm holding on to that you need to get your hands on? Where do you want me to be and go? How do you want me to look? This is the five year, my plan. How can I be transformed into your image more? Because that's the whole purpose. 
The great commandment is to love God, not to go into the world and make disciples. Now hear what I'm saying. I love going into the world, make disciples. But am I going in me or am I going in him? You see, we still haven't come to the reality of the love, the great commandment, the church. And we bypass it like it's lolly water. And there's so much contained in it that if we actually came into it, the commission would happen. See, the commission's not happening because we haven't defined it by the commandment. And once again, we kid ourselves. If we actually define the commission by the commandment, the commission would actually happen. How's that for a head-brainer? We actually think we're doing it, but we're not. So we go out there in our own ways, in our own thinking. We wonder why it doesn't work. But we're out there doing the commission. I'm making disciples. I'm preaching the gospel. not seeing that much. Oh, gee, I better heal all these people because... I'm seeing this need. I'm not sent to meet the need. Moses was sent. Paul was sent. Jesus was sent. The church is sent. We don't act from our seeing. We act from being sent. Did you get that? You don't act from what you see. You act from being sent from the Father. I can't do anything of my own initiative. Apart from me, Greg, you can't do anything. So you better make sure that you're sent. Well, the reason God gives us the commandment is because you lose your life in that commandment. When you start to understand what the word love means, agapeho, it means die to yourself. Literally, be bound in me and my ways. Now, go. It's simple. The great commandment is to love God and a new commandment I give you is love one another as I love the church and a world will know. Let's be honest, eh? Do we love one another? Really? As Christ loves. Is the church of Jesus Christ known for love? What would your answer be? Maybe. Maybe some people have run into one or two people. But on a whole, does the world look at the church and come to the church for answers and a place of salvation? Does it really? It will, but does it now? So do you think God really means that this is what's to happen? He does, doesn't he? There's a reality. God never speaks in riddles. What he says, he actually expects to see appropriated. We love this living this unrealistic state where we sort of take the scripture and go, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. They're not living that out. I'm still. So he says this. He says, I'm going to give you a commandment. And the commandment, which is a commandment, it's not an instruction. It's not a good idea. It's a commandment. See, our focus is all wrong. We're out there trying to reach the world and we can't even love one another. And the commandment is to love one another. What a disobedient bunch we are. I'm a disobedient person. Because my focus, which attains my interests, which creates my actions, determine my lifestyle. Are you hearing me? My focus, what I think is right, will determine what I'm interested in. Where my priorities lie. Where my priorities lie will be the things that my actions will be outworked through, yes? So, if I think that the commission is more important than the commandment, where am I going to be? In the commission. But yet the church is still not loving like Christ said we're called to love. And if we would, a whole world who we're trying to reach would actually know... Because they can see it, it's tangible, it's real. It's not just someone spiffing a whole lot of words out that's not modeling something. And they would run. We're a disobedient bunch of Israelites. And I'm leading the pack. And he's trying to change this pack of people. We're not Israelites, by the way, we're followers of Jesus. But he's trying to change us and say, hey, it's a commandment. First place priority is love. Everything is going to go. Are you known for love? Because I was known for love. 
So stop flipping trying to reach the world for me because I never actually said that. I said, I will draw unto myself. I seek and save the lost, not you. I've asked you to be witnesses when you go, but as a commandment, as a first place priority as my people, would you love me and love one another, please? He makes it so simple that we miss it. It's called the kingdom of God in your heart. Operating. This isn't the type of messages that puts bums on seats. I'm aware of that. But this is the messages that set you free. See, I'm in a place now, if I can be real frank and honest, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to preach truth. God's done such a work in my heart, I don't have the fear of man anymore. Because I had this mindset that building the church meant heaps of bums on seats, everybody doing this, putting out albums and, you know, doing our thing and taking the world for Jesus. And if you haven't got a thousand and two thousand, three thousands and speak a certain way and have your pants up here somewhere and, you know, try and act all cool and try and have the lotus low down on how to say and a few woohoos when someone coughs and, uh, you know, just like go to the school of whatever, go to the school of learning how to be a Christian inside Christianity and don't have a, you know, a, a preaching series on DVD and you don't have all that, man, you ain't arrived, son. That's a whole lot of gibberish and bull. You know what we need? Humble hearts. Paul said it this way, don't think more highly than yourself. So we need humble hearts. We need to be hungry for his reality, not our own. We need to love one another because it's going to take that to be able to do this. We need to put the right gifts in the right place in the function and order. And then we need to submit to those giftings, not the man, the giftings. So we receive from the giftings. So we actually can start to live from a top-down perspective, not a bottom-up one, because that's where most of us are living right now, if I'm being honest. We think like the world when we don't think like Christ. We don't say the things of Christ. You'll know you're starting to come into this reality when you start in your heart feel you're being disconnectly connected. Why is this little bundle of joy not at the center of my world now, but yet Christ is. You don't have my heart anymore. Christ has it. Now I'm actually free to love you and speak this reality into you so you will live like this. Do you realize that's how he lived? It's an apostolic reality because he's the apostle. He had all those elements, but it's a top down because then you're free of this world. See, we have soulish ties that we don't actually think are soulish. We think they're being a Christian. So we think God's purposes for marriage was so we could have kids and then just fill the earth. But it sort of misses that teaching a little bit when you go and read Paul's teaching, who's sort of talking this language about don't get married and, and it's best for a man not to touch a woman, you know, because it's like you, your whole priorities are going to get shifted, they're going to align. But then he says, it's okay if you do, but just don't get caught up in the world system like everyone else's. And so your whole focus starts to come over here. And now you don't have time to allow this kingdom reality. You don't have time to serve me because you're serving everyone else. And all these things are becoming idols now in your lives. And now you're bound by them. And now when they move or they shift or change, you just can't cope. So then your whole life starts going in a spiral because you've anchored onto all these things and not me. That is a kingdom reality. Now, this is the reality that God wants to lead you and I into. Where it's not just talk, where some of you are going, oh my goodness, what is this guy talking about? But you would actually go, thank you for doing that work. I see that, hear that. I'm no longer weird. Christ in me is so much in me now that I'm thinking and seeing like him. 
I'm in this freedom now. The truth is actually coming alive. It's like living like it says. Man cannot live on bread alone, but every word. This spirit thing's feeding my spirit. I'm feeling full. I'm actually experiencing the reality of what's in the book. Not theory, but the reality. We set up schools and universities and we fill our students with head knowledge, but very few live with the reality of the Bible. So they can quote you scripture, they can quote you reference, they can tell you all the history about X, Y, and Z, but how many people have got the living Christ, the resurrected life, where they're actually food source for others, and when they speak, the washing over of the word actually fills you up and takes you to another place, because the living world's a reality, it's not a theory, it's not a head knowledge, it's real knowledge of the Christ. How many people are feeling fed right about now? How many are feeling threatened a little bit? little bit like, whoa, what's this paradigm? It's called kingdom. And there's tension in all of the kingdom. God doesn't want you feeling comfortable. He wants you engaging with Him. He wants you to come into an unknown spiritual reality, landscape. That is within you, firstly, here and here. That's why the Bible says, work out your salvation. We sing this song, Lord, I give you my heart, and I give you my soul, and I live for you alone, and every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, come on, Lord, have your way in me, Lord, I give you my heart. Give you my soul. I live for you. Beautiful song, isn't it? Have we enjoyed singing it? challenge is living it. Do you know what you're singing? Lord, I give you my heart. What's God after? So you're actually signaling to him right now. Have you meant that? Not just the emotional feeling of the nice song. I'm not knocking that. I love that. I'm emotional. I love music. But we've got to live in a reality. Lord, I'm giving you my heart. The heart that's wicked. The heart that separates me from you. You've given me a new heart. So there's an exchange that's happened of the Spirit. Lord, I give you my soul. What does that mean? What's your soul made up of? Your mind. Your thinking. Lord, I give you my mind is what you're saying. Lord, I give you my will. I give you my emotions. Now have your way in me. You see, we are bound up with soulish, mind, feeling, will, ties that are not kingdom that we might think they are. For whatever reason, experience, what we've been brought up in, teaching and Christianity, all that. But this defines the kingdom perspective. This is a top-down mindset. This is the thing that defines it. Not my opinion, not what I feel, not what I think, not the book of opinion, but the book of opinion, not me. So I must come into this reality. And I see a man saying this, the man I worship saying, why are you giving me a hard time, mum? I'm 12 years old and I'm in the temple. I'm in Jerusalem and I'm asking questions of these men that I've actually been called to reach as a 12-year-old who established a completely different set of traditions and understandings. It's called the Talmud. And we have our own Talmud. It's called Christian Talmud. And Jesus is there and these men are talking in the temple. I'm talking about the Pharisees. He's 12 years old. His parents have gone on a journey. He comes back. They can't find him for three days. How many people are parents here? Okay, imagine this. This is your child. You've gone off on a journey. It's a day's journey. And you realize, oh my goodness. Where's Lily? Danielle's going to kill me. Where's Lily? So you head back 
a day's journey. Another three days you're looking for Lily or whoever your child is. Have you seen Lily, Clay? No. Have you seen Lily? No. Have you seen my Lily? No. Have you seen? No. Anywhere. And then you stumble across Lily. And there's Lily as a 12-year-old asking questions of these men of the Torah and listening to them because he knows he has to redefine their whole thinking because he came down as a man and one of them said, how do I go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, oh my goodness, you're the teacher of Israel? You've been entrusted with what my father started? We're in some serious trouble. If you think I'm speaking a spiritual language and you think it's that, we've got a lot of work to do. But this is us. This is us. And we don't believe it, but it's us. We have to come into spiritual landscapes that we have not yet come into. Trust me, I've walked through this, and there's more I have to come into. It's my testimony. Testimony is so powerful. It's a living reality. It's living truth. It's your experience. And so here's Jesus, and he's sitting there. And what does his mum do? You're about to see the kingdom of the world, the soulish ties that we have in the world, speak to the kingdom of God. And then the kingdom of God is going to speak back to the kingdom of the world. Okay, You're going to see someone who thinks, speaks, and acts completely different to Jesus. Where have you been? We've been looking everywhere for you, you little... She had to be a bit careful because she knew who he was. <sighs> Probably just as good back in the day. It wasn't now. No speaking. No smacking. Jesus would have got in trouble. <sighs> that could have been a bit ugly for the government, eh? <laughs> no, it wouldn't have been because he served, didn't he? Where have you been? What's his response? See, Lily would have gone, Oh, sorry, Dad. Oh, Dad, I'm really sorry. I just was got your iPad and I couldn't get over how good your iPad was. So I, I just left you on the trail and I'm playing the iPad. I'm really, really sorry. Was that Jesus' response? What does he say? Come on, we should know our word. What does he say? That's awesome. I'm in my father's house. No, no, no. Your father is the man I married. I'm in my father's house. And the Bible says she didn't get anything. It says she doesn't understand what he's even talking about. You see, our focus determines our interests, and our interests determine the actions in which we take. And so here you have this beautiful picture of the kingdom of heaven living on the kingdom of on, on earth, this culture speaking to a world's culture. It's the mother of Jesus. Is it sinking in? The mother of Jesus isn't thinking like her boy. She's a follower of her son. She becomes a follower. There's a journey. He gives us Peter as an example. He gives us James as an example. He gives us John. This is us. There aren't these men that sort of are somehow... We're not related to. They're all a typology of us. Peter's a typology for the church. We're going to hit more of that when I get back from Cambodia. Helena, we're still good? I feel to keep going. Is that right? So what happens? Come with me to Luke. And then I'll, I'll finish here. I think I've said enough. Luke, Luke 2. Okay, Luke 2, 41 is where the story starts, but we're going to pick it up in 49. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? I wonder what question we would have asked at this point. See, our questions determine our destiny as well. 
There are wrong questions you can ask. Like when Jesus says, follow me, here's an example of a wrong question. How much is it going to cost me? That's a completely wrong question in a kingdom reality. Do you know why? Because you're never going to get an answer to that question. And do you know what happens when you don't get an answer to the question? You've heard the call. You need faith to follow. You don't get the answer to the question, so your faith diminishes. And you never go. Because you're waiting for a reality that you're never going to receive. Because if Christ actually told you what was going to happen, you wouldn't go anyway. He's smart. He's so much smarter than us. So we need to learn how to ask the right question. The question there should be, follow me. Lord, what are you going to do through me as we go together? How am I going to be used by you, in you, through you to see this reality come? See, one question is based around fear. The other is based on faith. He asks this faith, this kingdom question. Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know? Did you not know? How come your mindset is not mine, mum? How come your thinking is not the same as mine, mum? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? How come you don't know, mum? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. Now here you're going to see such a beautiful reality of heaven culture operating on the earth. Jesus knows that his mum doesn't get it. Jesus knows that his mum is outside of a culture that lives within him. Okay, He's operating in this reality that he wants us to operate in through the Spirit. And he knows his mum doesn't get it. Verse 51. This is where you're going to see Jesus honor a principle calling honor your parents, but still maintain the culture within him. And so he does both. See, this is a reality we've got to come into as well. Not just the principle, the why behind the principle and live in the life that the principle's giving, not just the principle. So many people just live in the principle, never the life of the principle. So there's no change. You don't see the reality of it come forward in your life because you're just obeying a bit of principles. There's no heart, there's no greater understanding. You're just doing it because you should do it. And here we see Christ modeling, he said, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in the favor of God and men. You see, she's understanding that her son at 12 is speaking a reality that's not hers. Are you following me? Are you tracking me? But the Bible says, and she said, she did not understand it in her mind. But something about her spirit grabbed it. It says she stored what she heard in her heart. Didn't she? He continued in subjection, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. See, she received something this day in her spirit that she had not yet received in her mind. This is how true spirit-led truth comes to you, what I'm about to teach you right now. You're trying to un- she's trying to understand a spirit truth with a carnal mind, an unrenewed mind mind. The only way she's going to understand this if her mind gets renewed. But see, God is so perfect. Our spirit can receive truth. It can be fed on truth. Hence, you can receive something, know it's doing a difference and a changing you, but you can't yet articulate it because it hasn't yet been renewed in your mind. So someone comes along and says, Paul, man, you're changing. What's going on? You guys, I don't really know, but it's awesome. That's a back-to-front concept, isn't it? 
It's not. It's a right way round kingdom principle. So he's receiving living word, living truth. It's alive into his spirit, but his mind yet has not been renewed to it. And what happens as he seeks the Holy Spirit, as he seeks the word of God, the spirit will lead Paul into all truth and it will come up and into his mind. He now has the mind of Christ. And now he declares this truth from this reality, which has real power and real life attached to it. And now it's like he understands what he's just heard. And this is everywhere in the scripture. It's everywhere. Peter is a beautiful picture that God gives us. You set your minds on the things of man, not of God. He's just had a revelation of who Jesus is. He starts pitching tents because he thinks that's what God wants. God, what are you doing? I'm showing you a greater reality of who I am and you're pitching tents. And we are the same. Because we're building from here up instead of looking here down. See, the kingdom of God is a completely different culture reality living on the earth, which signs and wonders are a small part of. We preach half the book, and God's going, Greg, start preaching all of it. Start preaching my people about teaching them about the Beatitudes. Start teaching what it means to have a heart and see like me and hear like me and this culture. It's a whole journey. You don't just arrive. As you follow, he starts to birth this in you because you're part of a community that's building on the framework and the blueprint of the Father, which is apostles first, prophets second, teachers third, pastors and evangelists. And if my people will build on these gifts, you will see works of service done like you've never seen before because it's me feeding in. You'll see a unity of the faith, not a conformity, but a unity of the faith that you've never seen before. You'll see all my people come to the knowledge of God. I'm talking about real knowledge, an intimate knowing in your spirit, not just some head knowledge that you have of some guy that died rose again a living reality paul calls it real knowledge and that my body will rise up and attain the stature the fullness the measure of my body which is the bride of christ and you will no longer be tossed to and fro by the worries and the waves and the winds of the earth but you will stand and reflect my glory to a world that so desperately needs me then, after you've done that, I'm coming back to pick you up. After the work's been done in you, work out your salvation. Get your soul sanctified by my truth. Then I'm returning to take you, to marry you. There is a judgment before that, but then we're going to get married if you make that. And then we're coming back. And we're going to establish my kingdom on the earth for a period of time before it's over and then there's a greater different reality. See, that is the inheritance for you and me. That is what Jesus died for. That's what he paid the price for. To see you and me come into something that is not even anchored here, but there. Set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at heavenly places. Come on, church. Let's get our eyes off ourselves and on him. And our lives will be radically transformed. And all these songs that we sing will be our reality. And the words that we read on this page will be a reality. They won't just be some theoretical thing that we tuck away in a bookshelf somewhere. It'll be your and my reality. And God says this, you got to do it together. Let's lose the independence that's in us. Let's lose self today. 
and commit to allowing him to define us as we go, changing us, transforming us. So, Lord, that's your prayer. That's the John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. I pray that they would be one. And I pray, Lord, that we would be perfected in unity as you are one. I pray you and us, as you are in the Father and the Father is in you. And I pray, Lord, as we live this out by your Spirit, not by man's expectations, religious action, but by your Holy Spirit and your Word, Spirit and truth, arm in arm, the two becoming one principle with the right defined order of how you build. You will build a spirit nation of people here at the Rock. And there is nothing, nothing at all that can come against this people. The Bible says that you've given us these keys and that the gate of Hades will just be pushed back. The kingdom of darkness that's operating, the spiritual battle, Father, that's happening right now, right now here on the earth and in the heavenlies, Lord. The church of that church pushes the gates back and we see dominion come in the lives of people which are neighborhoods communities and cities and nations father but lord we have to model this thing first we have to be saved we have to be transformed we have to have that reality if we're ever going to pass on to anyone else what this is because of the first hurdle will fall down so father the work starts here in the heart of the church your people because you've empowered us with your spirit and you've empowered us with your son and you've empowered us with the gifts and you've empowered us with one another. So we have everything we need to fulfill the task in which you've assigned to us. So God, I pray for faith and I pray for boldness and I pray for courage and I pray for the right questions to be asked and I pray that we would as a community run into your arms and stay there and allow you to define it. So in Jesus' name, I declare this. I don't ask it, I declare it as a reality of the heartbeat of this home, your home, your place of worship, the rock.